0: So I, I told you on the video last week that um, I was going to run a marathon, mini-marathon, half-marathon half, half last week, 13.1 miles. And so I did, and I didn't croak, and so Jonathan's not in control. Uh, like you said, like, he was funny about that. Um, but what was really impressive to me was my 17-year-old daughter and her girlfriend, Taylor, from our church, um, they both got online and found a plan to how to run a mini-marathon, and so they got online, and they followed this plan, and I was really impressed with how they had certain miles, and then they had long runs on the weekend, and Emily and Taylor would run, you know, four, four months ago, five miles on a Saturday and a few miles during the week, and then seven miles on a Saturday and a few miles during the week, and they got all the way up to 11 miles. It was really what impressed me the most was the plan. Now, everybody in the room makes plans, and everybody in the room, even those of you that kind of wing things, I bet you planned just as soon as the fast was over to get right back to those apple fritters, weren't you? Now, fess up, okay? Everybody in the room, even those of you that wing things, you, you, you made plans to come to church. You made plans to brush your teeth, I hope. You made plans to take a shower. We're counting on that. So all of us in the room make plans. Some of you are like planners. How many of you in the room, like, you live to plan? You, like, love plan. How many of you, like, are wingers? You wing it in the room, you know? But you, yeah, you're happy. You're the happy people. But we all make plans. We make plans to go to school. We make plans to get a part-time job. We make plans to get an education. We make plans to get a job. We make plans to get a better job. We make plans to get a bigger house. We make plans to downsize. We make plans to buy a business. We make plans to sell a business. We make plans to retire. We all make plans, don't we? What if you have the wrong plan? And how do you know whether or not you have the right plan? And what if your ladder is leaning up against the wrong wall? Well, I know, and you know this too, a year ago and every year, 32 NFL teams planned to be in the Super Bowl. But for whatever reason, 30 plans went awry, and only two teams are going to be in it this afternoon. And you and I also know that the last two weeks, John Fox and Pete Carroll have been planning like crazy, haven't they? Can my great dominant defense stop, in my humble opinion, I'm very humble, just ask me and I'll tell you how humble I am, but can my great defense stop the greatest quarterback of all time. And so both of these guys are trying to figure out how their plans are going to, can this defense stop Peyton Manning? Can Peyton Manning blast through and go through this incredible defense? That's the plan. Now, I wouldn't bet my life plan on Pete Carroll or John Fox. And here's why. They're good men. They're both great coaches because one of them is going to be wrong at the end of the day. But I have moved all my chips to the center of the table. I have bet all my chips on God. There is no plan B for me. There are no other bridges. I've burnt all my bridges. In my life, I have no plan B. God is real. God exists, and I want to live to serve him with the rest of my entire life. What if you've got the wrong plan? And how do you know? How do you know if you're on the right plan? Well, I think we start with the Creator. And the Creator has a plan for all mankind. If you're a note taker in your bulletin, I want to fill in a couple of blanks for you really, really quickly. Then I want to move on to the gist of the service today, the gist of the sermon. But here's, here's God's plan. If you don't know it, this is a real simple plan. Number one, God wants a relationship with his creation. It's amazing, but that's part of the plan. Number two, not only does he want a relationship with creation, but he would leave heaven and show the way. Jesus would basically turn on lights and build bridges. It's really what Jesus did. Jesus turned on lights and Jesus built bridges for people to be able to come back to him. Number three, His son would be the ticket. How do you get to eternal life? His son. His son would be the ticket to eternal life. And number four, he would give us divine power for us to be able to live for him. Now, does anybody have a better deal than that? Can anybody come up with a better plan? You see, here's the interesting part about God. God has this overall plan, and you're in it. God created this overall plan, and he puts you there. Now, the way that you and I get in the plan, we get in the plan through his son, Jesus Christ. And again, most of us know that. But let me ask the question, what's a better plan? Are there other plans competing for for this plan? Well, you bet there are. First of all, there's culture. Culture is always competing and giving us a different plan. Now, here's what I've learned about culture. Culture baits me, and then it discards me. Culture baits you. Culture baits you and then discards you. I kind of started picking up on this a few years ago when I was watching how they would make Lance Armstrong a god and they would make, you know, Tiger Woods a god and they would, they would make Lindsay Loham, you know, and, and then they couldn't wait to like just crush them. And so I began to figure out culture raises you up because that's newsworthy and then culture smashes you down because that's newsworthy. So they make news either way, when it's going up, when it's going down. It's exactly what's happening right now to Miley Cyrus. Cyrus and Justin Bieber. Same exact thing. Poor Miley Cyrus. I don't know what happened to Hannah Montana, but now every time, every time Miley gets on stage, my gosh, it's drama, isn't it? And Justin Bieber right now, he's a hog on ice sliding right off the waterfall. But, but that's, that's a Memphis term, okay? Jonathan from, Jonathan from Long Island would not get that at all, all right? Just, he's a hog on ice. I know that, that just came to me, all right? Um, sorry. But culture baits us. Culture baits us. Let me give you some examples. Culture baits us with alcohol. Today, we'll see some great beer commercials, and I'll watch them. But culture does this to you, and culture does this to me. It baits us with alcohol, 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 and then once you become an alcoholic, what's wrong with you? Can't you hold your liquor? Culture baits you, and then it discards you. Culture does that with money. I'm sure that I'm the only one in the room that gets all those different credit card opportunities in the mail. I'm sure nobody else has as good a credit as I do in this room. I'm sure I'm the only one that gets three or four of those a day, right? We all get those. And and so culture baits you, baits you, baits you. Take out a home equity line of credit, take out a HELOC, take out. And and then all of a sudden, once you, you go bankrupt, what's wrong with you? And we penalize you. Culture does that with sex. This is a culture saturated with sex. And then when someone falls into pornography or someone falls into an affair, well, how could she do that? How could he do that? I'm more amazed that more people don't do it, to be honest with you. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in our culture, and it's power. Culture baits you with power. Become powerful. Become powerful. And then once you become powerful, nobody wants to be with you. Nobody likes you. You're the most isolated person in your company or in your country or in your community. So culture baits us, and then culture discards us. So is that a better plan than God's plan? I I don't think so. Well, what about another plan? What about the plan of world religions? If you think about every world religion, they're all exactly the same. Every world religion, Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism, you fill in the blank, they all have us at the bottom of the mountain. We're down here in the valley, and somehow we got to find our way up to the top of the mountain, and we take this path, or we take this path, or or we circle around this way. Every world religion, nobody gets there. Nobody can find it, but every world religion sets you on a journey that nobody can ever get to. Jesus said, no, that's not how this is going to work. We're not trying to get up to the king. In Christianity, the king came out of the top of the mountain. And the king came down to the bottom of the valley. And the king said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody gets back up to the dad, to the father, except through me. And so I don't know a better plan than God's plan. I don't know how that works. And so that's why for three weeks, we spent time on fasting. And the goal of the three-week fast, the Daniel partial fast, was for breakthroughs to figure out where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? What's the direction in my life? And then last week, our, our youth pastor, Griffin, did a super job, and we transfer, we're transferring from fasting now to these two weeks to feeding. Now, how does this feeding work? Well, I want to take us to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1 says His divine power. This is a powerful verse. You see, you're in the plan. But now for you to fulfill your race in the plan, His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now, how does He do this? How does this feeding work? And why should it work for me? Well, 1 Peter says this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, For you have been born again. See, this is how you get in the plan. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring what? Word of God. Look at the next verse. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But, he says, but the word of our Lord endures forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. And so we gave you a 21-day plan. Well, this morning and last week, Griffin and I want to give all of us a 365-day plan for the rest of your life. And what we're asking for you to do is to get to the place where you can spend 15 minutes with God every day. 15 minutes with God will forever change your life and help you to run your race this is the word of God that was preached to you. Don't, Romans kind of says the same thing in just a little different way. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. See, the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's all, it's all talking about all the great things God's done for you. And in chapter 12, he's talking about because God's done great things for you, I'm urging you then to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Verse verse 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, perfect, and pleasing will. So I want to talk about why for just a minute from Romans chapter 12. Why should you spend 15 minutes with God? Why should you accept God's plan? How do I know that that's the right plan? why am I asking you to put all your chips in the center of the table? What's the why? Well, first of all, it's because of his mercy. Look at this. God was merciful. Did anybody like strut to church this morning? Did anybody like walk in here going, I deserve this? man, I'm I'm a good person. I'm a righteous person. In in first hour, a guy named Richard was passing out communion. He was handing me communion. And I, you know, I'm probably supposed to be quiet during communion. But I said, how you doing? He said, better than I deserve. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because of God's mercy. Why would we renew our minds? Why would we be transformed? Why would we dial into God's plan? Why would we spend 15 minutes with God every day? Because he's been merciful to you. That's the why. What's the, there's the what. The what is, I now offer God me. I offer him myself. You offer him you. That, that's the why. What's the how? The how is the renewing of your mind. If you and I do not renew our minds... Just a short period of time, we're in real trouble, right? Seven of you, the rest of you are in good shape. We're in trouble, and we know that. We know we have to renew our minds, don't we? What are the results if we do this? The results are this. This is cool. It's pleasing to God. If we renew our minds, we transform our minds, we know that we will then be able to understand God's perfect will. All right, I want to go back to 2 Peter where we started with these verses and then read a few more verses. I got a whole lot of application to you. Are you still with me? All right, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 again. This is so important because you have a race to run and you're in the plan and God has a plan for your life. So here's what he says. This is so important that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Look at the next verse. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. This is your race. You and I are to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 5. Now he tells you how to do this. Now, I want to make some application to this in just a minute. He tells you what to do. I don't know that we know how to do this. Because if we already knew how to do this, we'd be doing this. You see, maybe there's 10 of you in the room that that don't understand all this, and we're so glad you're here. But most of us in this room, we get it. And we know the what, but we just, we really don't know how. If we knew how, we would already be doing it. And so he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then add from goodness to add knowledge, and and then to add knowledge, add self-control, and then from self-control, do the perseverance thing, and and then perseverance, you know, adds to godliness, and then from godliness, we we add mutual affection, and to mutual affection, we we add love. And if you possess these qualities, Peter said, in increasing measure, or how do we increase? if we knew how to increase, we'd be increasing. But really, I've been staying stuck for five years. I, I'm really not more this way than I've been for five or six years. I'm still stuck. But he says, if you possess these qualities, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine says this, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Okay. Hang on to that. I want to tell you a true story that has affected my life deeply. This is a story that I think about all the time, and this is a story that every year helps me with my New Year's resolutions. And you know why you've already broken all your New Year's resolutions? Because they were too big. Your New Year's resolutions were too large. So you had a New Year's resolutions where you've never read the Bible before, and your New Year's resolution this year was to learn Hebrew. I got a couple of prayer partners that learn the the memorized verses, they've been memorizing verses for years, and one of them's in the room right now, and he knows about 150 different scripture verses. If you have that as a goal, you will fail miserably, because you won't memorize 150 different verses in this year. Some of you have a goal that you've never read two verses of the Bible, and you have a goal that you're going to read the whole Bible through, so you start with Genesis and you're rolling, you get to Exodus, you love it, you get to Leviticus and you're praying the prayer, my Lord, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You, you, you won't do it. If you've never exercised in the gymnasium and you say, okay, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to work out for two hours a day, you, you're not going to do that. The next day you're so doggone sore, you think you got the flu, you can't even move, right? And so, so this is a story, a true story that has impacted my life, and I want to share this with you. It's called the butterfly effect. In 1963, MIT, which stands for Massachusetts, a meteorologist by the name of Edward Lorenz. Now, he was running simulated weather patterns on a computer, and so for the students in the room, the computers were not like this and like this thick, Back in the day, in 1963, computers were larger than tanks, okay, they, they, they were huge. He's running simulated weather patterns on, on a computer, and he was trying to figure out what would happen like with wind that took place in Brazil, would wind in Brazil have any impact on Brownsville, Texas? How, how could wind over here have any effect over here? And so he had this formula And the formula that he was running in these simulated weather patterns was .506127, .506127. Well, one day he was in a hurry, had a meeting to run to, leans over his computer, and he just types in .506. He rounds off to .506. Now, the difference is less than one one thousandth of one percent. Now, if you're not really good with math, that's like a few pennies on hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're still not good with that analogy, it's really, really small, okay? He, just, he came back from his meeting three hours later and was shell-shocked by what he discovered. He discovered that a puff of wind, like the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil, given enough time and given enough distance would cause a tornado in Brownsville, Texas. That grew wings, I thought that was funny, that grew wings uh, in the academic community, and it became known as the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect is basically you do something really, really small, really, really tiny, but given enough time and given enough distance, it begins to impact your life. See, I think that's what we do with our faith. If you've never read the Bible before, maybe it's one minute a day. If you've never prayed before, maybe it's it's not trying to pray for two hours. You're not going to do that. If you've never exercised, it's probably not a two-hour exercise. Maybe it's a 30-minute, maybe it's a three-minute walk. Okay? If, If you eat terribly, maybe it's not all this, but you just The butterfly effect is what begins to transform and change your life. And so, that's why we're having Dr. Ben Lerner come next weekend. That's why he's coming to do this conference for us on a Sunday. And he's got five essentials, and it's called winning my race. And guess what? None of these things are going to be like, wow, I've never heard that before. But he's going to show us how to do those things. He's going to show you the steps, the butterfly effect, the steps that it takes for you and I to flat change our life. Now, why would we want to do that? Because God's placed us in a race and he's given us a race that we are to run. So last weekend, um, you know, I I, I ran that half marathon, it was, Danita Well, let me back up. Emily, my 17 year old, five months ago asked me to run the race. And I said, I'm not going to run a half marathon. I've not run over three or four miles in two decades. I'm not about to do that. So you know how the wives are always smarter than us husbands. And so Danita comes in the bedroom and she said, no, when's the last time your 17 year old asked you to do anything? I was married before that moment. <laughs> so I said, "Oh, Danita, I don't know about my hips and my ankles, and I don't know, you know?" She said, "Big boy, you can do this. Just you know." So I didn't train like Emily and Taylor. They had a really good plan, and they, they, they planned this. Well, I actually did speed work because I didn't think my body could take the long distances. So last Sunday morning, it was 25, quarter seven. We're in this little bitty town of Celebration, Florida, outside of Orlando, and there's twenty-five hundred people in this race. There's everybody in the whole world, I think, is in this race. And we're all lined up at quarter seven. And I heard God say to me, run your race. Just 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 run your race. And I'm looking around the other twenty, you know, four hundred people, ninety-nine. Just I'm not running their race just just run your race. The gun goes off. You can't move for about 45 seconds because there's so many people. The gun goes off, and you kind of find a pace, and I'm running about nine-minute miles with about 12 people, and we get to this spot, and uh, this young man, I, found, I asked him what he did, and he's in his third year. He's almost a doctor, and I kid you not, He asked me what I did, and I said, well, I'm actually a minister. And he said, do you know anything about fasting? We're at mile two. And I I said, well, as a matter of fact, I I, I do. I, I just preached on fasting for three. He said, do you know anything about this thing called the Daniel fast? He said... He said, "Our church last week's got this book from Rick Warren, and we're going to do this partial thing." He said, "What is the Daniel fast?" I'm going, man, I'm only at mile two. I cannot explain this for the next eleven miles. And so I, I told him to go on our website. You know, there's sermons. I did. I just. I'm a preacher. I just did three sermons on that. And about that time, there's a porta potty, and he peels off the porta potty, and I don't see him again. It's hilarious. So now I'm at mile four. And this woman, there's about 12 of us in this pack. Again, you kind of run with the pack. And this woman said, you're a minister? And I said, I, said, I am. And she said, isn't there a verse that says God's going to finish what he starts? I said, yeah, there's a verse that says that. I said, it's Philippians chapter 1. I'm quoting scripture now running 9 minute miles. I said, Philippians chapter one, verse six says, he who began a good work in you is gonna carry on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. She said, that's it. And there's some lady up front of her was a school teacher and she gives me the thumbs up and some guy named Mike gives me the thumbs up. Some woman named BJ, we're running, I'm at mile six. She says to me, she says, I've got a son that's gonna go into boot camp. His name is Austin in about two weeks. Would you pray for him? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm running and praying and quoting scripture. Do you think that just happens? After the race was over, about all 10 of them came and they saw Danita and Erica and Ethan and Emily and, and several friends from Harborside were actually at the race. And and um I was introducing all these people to my family and my friends, and and one of Taylor said to Emily, my youngest daughter, she said, Did did your dad just make like eight new friends on this race? And and Emily said, Yeah, that's the only person you know that could ever have eight new friends at a 13-mile race. And and, and then, then here's what happened to later. On Tuesday, I get this email from one of the young grandmothers that was running the race with me. Hi, Kurt. I told her it was Harborside. I told her a preacher at Harborside. And she's the one that asked me about Philippians chapter one, verse six, about he who began a good work and you will carry on to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. And so she emails me this on Tuesday. I get this on Tuesday. So she found me on, on our website. Hi, Kurt. Hope you're feeling well. I'm a little sore and stiff. I'm, I'm really glad to have met you on the road. God is awesome. He knew I needed you, not to get me through the race, maybe the race of life. Although I did place fifth in my age group and I got a personal record. But I've been away from church for a few years and I miss it and I don't know where to go. I've tried a few churches, she lives in Mount Dora, and I guess I'm tired of going by myself. I think I'll try another church this Sunday. I, I really don't know what's keeping me away. I was so faithful and full of the Lord. I still carry him in my heart, but my heart's not bursting with his love. And then she tells me why. Here's what happened. She said, you touched lives on the run. It makes me smile when I think about you quoting Philippians 1.6 that you reminded me of. And the girl ahead of you gave you the thumbs up. You went and talked with her. Um, She said, I'm motivated to seek out another church. I have a prayer request though. Please pray for my daughter. She lists her daughter's name. She's been involved with some kind of prescription, painkiller drugs. She's been involved with this and stealing. She was never a problem. She did great in school, cheerleader, and she became a coach. She went to school for nursing, got accepted, and one week later was in jail. I'm heartbroken. I was blindsided and numb. That was two years ago. I haven't stepped in a church since. Now, Why? Why wasn't a church available? Why wasn't a church open to her? Why wasn't she connected with people who could help her? The time when she needed church and God the most, either the church or she just stepped outside of it. I haven't been in a church in two years. I haven't stepped in a church for two years, but I'm going to. I truly believe that god placed you in my life at that race thank you for listening to my story your race is not my race my race is not your race but every one of us in this room second peter chapter 1 verse 3 says his divine power has given you everything you need and this is why we're we as a church are doing the conference next weekend It's so you'll know how it's why we do small groups it's why we do children's ministry it's why we do student ministry it's why we do everything that we're doing is so that you and I can finish the race and finish the race that God's called you and me to and to be successful at it God has a plan and you are in it God wants you to run your race with power and with passion. Let's stand up. Let's sing this song together. I'm going to ask you to sing and to worship, and then I'm going to wrap this up with us with a closing scripture and a closing prayer. So run your race. Run your race. Look what Peter says also. Look at these last verses. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you got a better plan? You haven't got a better plan. We we'll am ask our prayer partners to come down front. And today, if you've never given your life to Christ, push all your chips to the center of the table. Push, Put them all in the center. There is no plan B. You've burned every bridge. You're in the plan. You're on the plan. You're sticking with the plan. And you're going to learn how. Maybe it's the butterfly effect for you. Maybe it's just something so, so small. Maybe it's the conference next weekend. Go out and sign up right now. It may take 10 minutes, but go out. There's bunches of people on computers and kiosks, go sign up. Maybe it's giving your life to Jesus. Maybe it's coming down for prayer this morning and letting somebody pray for you and pray over you. Run your race. Finish your race and finish well. We honor you, Jesus. We push all the chips to the center of the table and we trust in you wonderful name we pray.